At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Logan, we got a good one today. Uh, Ross Tucker is going to join us in just a little bit. The uh, national analyst for Westwood One and a couple of other outlets uh, will join us. Also, former Washington football player, Washington alumnus. Uh, we'll see if we can get some good uh, some good stories out of him. He's here during the Spurrier era, so there's no telling. Great story. Yeah, uh, there's no telling uh, what Ross has in the bag. But uh, we actually want to start today recapping the play callers, the series that Jordan Rodriguez did that we talked to, to her about last week. But um, as much as we did in that conversation with Jordan. Uh, there's so much more left from it. Um, I obviously covered Sean McVay for multiple years, his final years here in Washington. Logan played for Sean and Kyle and Mike and, and Matt when they were all here for 2012 and obviously played for Kyle again in other places. So uh, there's just so much to talk about, Logan, because I think in so many ways that series gets to the essence of coaching, but then there's obviously specific elements about those four men and specifically Kyle and Sean as coaches that shows you both what separates them and what makes them great, but also the flaws that at times have held them back. Yeah. And I also think we can talk a little bit about that 2012 season. You know, I think that was something that people like in the comments on the video wanted to hear more about and just kind of like my recollection of it. So I guess we could start with that. Yeah, let's start you know? there if you're, if you're willing to, I mean, I thought that was very beautifully put by Jordan when we talked to her about how it's like on a, within the context of football, there's, there's a, a an element of tragedy there and yeah. I can hear in your voice talking about it, but if you're, if you're willing to go there, let's yeah, go. It's, it's not like, I'm not going to go crazy. It's more schematic. I'm not going to talk about the personal stuff quite as much, but schematically, you know, and I think um, I think that offense really shows you kind of the like it was like a like a spark point, you know, and what I mean by that is like we were doing stuff at the time that no one had ever done. And we had taken this kind of West Coast principle of creating horizontal space and putting defenses in conflict to like the next level. And like that's all Sean and, and, and Kyle and Mike and all these different guys right working together and being competitive like um, like Jordan pointed out. And so one of the things I wanted to just kind of call attention to is like the the simplicity, like how they were totally able to reg like regulate defenses. You know, they were able to kind of almost ensure with Robert's running ability that they were going to cover three every single time. 
And cover three is a defense that, you know, it's interesting kind of like to see this come full circle. Like later in the series, she talked about Vic Fangio, like mm-hmm. with this match concept and the, and, and basically cover three match or zone match comes about because of the holes in, in cover three, you know what I mean? Like that we were able to exploit as a team in 2012. And so basically like one of the things about that season that I remember very vividly is like, I thought, I mean, like, man, like defenses in the NFL aren't that complicated because like they were just so simplified. Right. And then I think, you know, it's, this, it's like this constant cat and mouse, like either you're evolving or you're dying. And I think like in that off season from 2012 to 2013, like we just couldn't evolve that system quickly enough or they couldn't evolve it. And that's not an indictment of them because there were some other like mitigating factors, um, you know, Robert's desire to be a pocket passer, all those different things, which I think are fairly well documented and fairly well discussed. But, um, you know, like defenses were like, well, this is how we're going to stop it. And then we didn't have like an answer, you know, and I think when Jordan was talking about, um, you know, kind of the evolution of Kyle and making sure you have answers. Like I remember having conversations with him, vivid conversations where, you know, Robert would get up and say he wanted to put in a play and he'd get up in front of the team and start talking through it. And Kyle would just kind of like, you know, he, he would do this in front of everybody. He'd be like, Hey, you know what, what happens if it's cover four? And Robert would be like, Oh, you do this. And it's like, what happens if you get, you know, Sam strong safety. And Robert was like, well, we got to slide the protection. He was like, how are you going to see it? And it was like this really interesting process for him. And I just felt like because of some of the restrictions placed on Kyle by Robert, that evolution couldn't continue with that offense, which is kind of a, a sad thing. And so thinking back on that and then seeing where Kyle's offense is at now and how I don't say there's an answer all the time, but just how intricate his game plans are. Right. Same thing with Sean. They're so intricate. They're so layered. And um, I, f- I feel like it all goes back to that 2012 season. And kind of that fall on your face element going into 2013, which there's a multitude of reasons for that. But again, it's it's something that I don't want to talk too much about. Well, let me ask you this from a purely like I'm asking from a football perspective. There's obviously the personal side of like it's been reported like Robert didn't want to run anymore. And there's like yeah. all the back and forth between Kyle, Robert, Dan, whatever, yeah. but like from a football standpoint. If Robert had been, and there's an injury also. To yeah, yeah, that, which like, is uh, so super important to account for also. Right. So, but let's let's pretend Roger Robert finishes, you guys just lose to Seattle, not Robert gets hurt, right? Yeah. So he comes back, he's healthy. 2013, the scheme is what it was, but you have a healthy Robert Griffin going into 2013 yeah. who's willing to run yeah. for whatever, you know, whatever reasons he wasn't willing to or couldn't or whatever, like put those aside. But he's like, He's the same guy he was as a rookie when he's cooking. Yeah. What does that team look like? I So I think you still run into some of the same hurdles. But what I do think you do see is I think you see some more innovation. And I think about, you know, my time in Houston in 2019 when they had Deshaun Watson. And they were running that, you know, we'd watch Washington film when I was in Houston, you know, about how they ran the zone read. And the thing that they did is kind of what um, what Philly does now. It's, an, it's a zone read with a – RPO. So I think Mm -hmm. in the story, like one of the things we talked about, and again, if Robert's healthy, this isn't quite as big of an issue, right? Because I think he's more willing to do some of this stuff. So like we used to do this thing where you, um, where the tight end would line up to the left off the ball and Robert's reading the defensive end to the right with him and Alfred, right? If the defensive end pinches, then Robert pulls it. And so teams started, you know, doing a scrape. So they pinch the defensive end and scrape the linebacker over the top. I, as the Grizz blocker, would run and block that scrape player, you know? And so basically we had to so have you would for come a, across the formation. 
and block that guy. Correct. hundred yeah. percent. And so basically because of Robert's kind of demand of saying, I don't want to run the ball the same way, you know, in these ways, he had a very specific vision of how he wanted to be used. Um, from what I understand, um, I would try to get to his, the, the linebackers outside number and the linebacker would just run to the sideline. So old Robert or Robert from 2012 would just put his foot in the ground and cut up for a gain of 15 yards, right? Because the offensive line could block that backside backer. Now, I think Kyle, if he had been with Robert Moore, would say, well, shoot, if that's how they're going to play it, we can line up in, Z, in in 11 personnel in a two-by-two two with the tight end to the left. We get to that overload going to the right and then just have the slot receiver who Santana Moss run like a drift or a slant to replace that scraping linebacker. And then off this RPO, we can find that hole. So I kind of felt like that was going to be that was going to be the next iteration of this offense, that was the next logical step, which is one of the reasons why Philly is so efficient right now is because they have the zone read, they have the Grizz blocker, but they've kind of said we can get one step further and put the defense defense in conflict one more time and with this with this pass element that they have off of it. So that's kind of where I think the offense would have gone. I don't think it would it could have happened more gradually, I think, because Robert would have been more willing to run. I think the offense would have been much more effective for longer it wouldn't have been as effective as it was in 2012 but i think that's something that i always think back on you know like there's this kind of confluence of like robert being hurt right and he wasn't quite as fast as he was before he wasn't quite as willing as he was before that led to a decrease in offensive efficiency and that decrease in offensive efficiency coupled with kind of some other relationships made it super hard to innovate you know, made it kind of stagnated that process, which Jordan talked about so much, at least in my perspective. I mean, I don't have all the details, but just from like a thousand foot view. So that's kind of what I would say. I think that that, that team could have been in a much better spot, obviously, if Robert's health, healthy, Robert had been slightly more willing. And I'm not and that's not an indictment of Robert. I don't want people to think that I'm mad at Robert for that. Like, I get it. He thought he was doing what was best for him in his career at the time. Um, and he was young, he's a young, young player. So like, you know, that's a hard thing to kind of negotiate. But um, I think it just kind of stymied that innovative process and it led to an offense that was very, very stagnant, you know, and this is a story. This is a quick anecdotal story. So we we were playing the Kansas City Chiefs. We were getting absolutely murdered. It was in that snow game in 13. Yep. Um, I think they had like a couple of returns for almost touchdowns and it was just like they did. There's one where and it's actually one of my favorite Trent Williams stories. Robert threw one. And Robert and Trent ran the guy down on the sideline together at the same speed. Yes. And Robert is an Olympic, like Level Olympic hurdler, yeah. hurdler at the hundred meters. So he's faster than hell. And Trent is running stride for stride with him in the snow because he's Trent Williams and he's from outer space. Yes. hundred percent. But in that, I think I might've told this story before, but in that game, we ran this concept in two minute called line. So line is basically just two slants in Kyle's offense. It's probably called something different now. Right. Um, and they were running some type of quarters. So quarters coverage, right? Think about it in your Madden vision. Like you, you divide the, you got a piece of pie, you divide it into four pieces. And yeah. one of the reasons um, line is effective is because you got this hook player who has to push through to the far slant or take the inside slant. So basically line is double slants. And so we were in a two minute drive and Kyle called Lion. I want to say three to five times consecutively in a row. And Robert's in the huddle like kind of pissy, upset, you know, like all grumpy or whatever. And, you know, all the guys are kind of like, what's going on? Da, 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 da. And then like, I kind of was like, you know, Kyle, like guys were upset about that. And Kyle's like, look, let me show you something real quick. So we went into his office or it might've been in the team room. I don't remember exactly where it was. And he puts on the tape 
He says, Logan, look at like what, like what coverage is Lyon good for? I'm like, it's good versus quarters. He's like, watch this throw. So basically the first slant Robert throws is like five feet over the receiver said. We call it again. It's in the dirt. So now it's third and 10 and finally hits the slant and it's a 15 yard gain. So I was like, they did not change their coverage. So this was there the whole time. Like Robert just needed to hit it. And like, this was kind of like where I first noticed the friction between the two of them. Like, because it was like Robert wanted to be a pocket passer and Kyle, I think knew because he's smart that Robert wasn't quite ready for it yet. And that was the first time I was like, Oh, like there's a, there's something going on here. And, and, and that, that was something that characterized the season. You got somebody who wanted to go this way. Someone knew who they weren't ready to go that way. And it was like this constant battle um, between those two personalities that was um, that I, that I only kind of tangentially saw, but I'm sure like talking to a couple other people that behind closed doors, that was a little bit more, um, problematic i guess yeah i don't know if you want to answer this question but i'm going to ask it and if you're like eh, i don't know then you can say <laughs> i don't know but do you think a different coach could have finessed that better or even like let's say kyle now an yeah. older more mature more experienced kyle who probably has some of that experience because he dealt with he dealt with or uh, dealt what he dealt with with robert but you have a young trying to prove himself still hard-headed kyle shanahan and a young, overly empowered, thanks to his stardom and the ownership situation and everything, Robert Griffin III. And I do wonder if, and obviously, like, look, let's not let Mike off the hook here either. Yeah. Like, Mike obviously had a role to play there and um, didn't go exactly great. Yeah. Uh, we know that based off history. But, like, do you think that different personalities could have dealt with that differently and, and smooth that over and convince Robert to do that? Or was Robert just kind of in a, this is what I think I'm doing this to protect myself because I got hurt last year doing it the other way. And there was, there was no convincing him. That is a, that's the million dollar question, man. Like that is a, that's an excellent question. And I think that's a better, that's a question that's better served for Robert and Kyle and Mike, um, you know, cause I don't want to speak for them, but sure. I would say, I would say having played for Kyle when I was in San Francisco, he has matured a lot, but you know, like we had Matt Ryan on here and Matt Ryan said, one of the things that was a friction point for them was that Kyle was so singular in terms of vision for the game plan and for the offense. And that's one of the things that makes Kyle excellent. You know, I also think, you know, Kyle alluded to this in, in the podcast in Jordan's podcast that, um, you know, ownership was not supporting the head coach there. Right. And he was, they had supported, you know, purportedly Robert or whatever. And I think that also led to some friction there too, right? So I don't know if it would ever, even if Kyle today could handle it. Because I also think about Jay, I think about Sean and their relationship with Robert. And Sean is one of the most effective coaches at speaking and communicating to players. And Jay yes. is a player's coach 1000%. So he's trying to get things done. He's trying to make things happen for the player. And if that staff, you know, granted, Sean was pretty young then still too. Sean was, that, I don't know. Like Jay is a player's coach, but I don't think Jay was always the most flexible. I, but that's the uh, thing. I, that's, 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 that, that's a great, I'm glad you used that word flexible. It's because really smart football people are not overly flexible, especially when someone's telling them what to do. And that's the vibe that I got when Jay was here. It was like, Jay's here to fix Robert or, you know, make Robert go. Well, right? yeah, that was definitely the the assignment. Right. And then it became obvious that Kirk was, gave you a better chance of winning, you know? And I think that is something 
that is really hard to negotiate. When you are the head coach, it's your team. You want to make decisions. And that's what you've been brought in here for is for your football expertise. And somebody is making that very, very challenging to do, um, you know. And so I think yeah. that to me, that that is more, you know, like just in talking with Jay about other stuff, like just the frustration they had, the frustration Kyle had. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. And it's not because of Robert necessarily. It's because of, I think, more if I was going to have to kind of assign blame, it's more because of how the empowerment structure went right. there. It basically right. allowed him to kind of be like, I'm 22. I think this, and we're going to do it this way. And everybody in the building has, you know, way more football experience than you, if that, if that makes sense. And again, that's a yeah. really good question for those guys specifically, but that's just me kind of you know, observe, like kind of based on information that I know, observing that situation. It's something that I would like to ask Robert, frankly, too, of yeah. like, Hey man, you're 30, 30, whatever you are now. Like if you could go back and I'm sure Robert would do some things differently, but like, is that one of them, you know, yeah. would you have just listened more? Um, but it's, it's hard. It was complicated. There's a lot of people that did a lot of stuff wrong. Um, but so back to kind of the schematic arc though, Sure. you mentioned Kirk, um, where did, this desire to build an offense around Robert and like utilize his skills and leverage, which is smart, right? Like you build this thing that, that works so well, but where does that leave you when he does get hurt and you now have Kirk cousins in there, a very different type of player. Like how did the scheme translate? And ultimately like, how does that lead to the evolution of where Sean takes it first in Washington, then with Jared Goff, and then ultimately to the Super Bowl and, and a championship with Matthew Stafford? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I remember being talking to Grant Paulson um, in the locker room in 2012 and him being like, hey, can Kirk get it done? And, you know, at the time I was like, you know, we're, we're, we're really hoping that Robert's healthy and ready to go. And I think the whole team felt that way because we didn't know really how special Kirk could be. And I say special because, you know, Kirk, you know, was not a high draft pick. I think he's a third round pick. And you know, developed and learned and grew and understood the offense. And so like in terms of schematically what's going on, I think um, the the bones of the offense remain largely unchanged, you know, like obviously like the play actions shifted to kind of what Robert was good at and the runs he was good at. But like we still had outside zone play action. We still had inside zone play action. We still had keepers and quick game and, you know, all the formational nuance that Kyle wanted. Um, but in terms of when Robert was in, it was like this bunch of plays and kind of was a little bit different stylistically, a little bit more chunk play oriented, a little less kind of multi reads. It was like, let's get, let's use that big arm, that javelin arm and get that ball where it needs to go fast and let our playmakers make plays. Right. And Kirk, you know, is a little bit more refined at that point in their careers as like a pocket passer. And, you know, there's a reason Robert won, in my opinion, won rookie of the year. It's because he's a dynamic playmaker but Kirk had a, it's like kind of what we've talked about when we talk about quarterback evaluation for the draft all the time Greg you know like obviously there's the height weight speed measurement of a guy like um, Richardson you know from Florida but there's also the intellectual processing and the learning and the study and the ability to grind film and grind the playbook you know that like a Bryce Young has that other people in the in the class don't have as as evidenced by his s2 cognition score and I felt like you had two players that were kind of very different in terms of skill set on the roster at the same time. And they both could do the, could execute the offense, their version of the offense in their way at a high level. Um, so I, I think, I think, you know, when Robert got hurt in Seattle, I think that was tough because we had game planned with Robert playing in mind, you know, so Kirk kind of came in and the playbook's a little bit different because Kirk's in there now, you know what I mean? 
Um, and Kirk did a great job, you know, in my estimation, but I think that was always kind of a challenge you were running. It's also, I mean, that's Legion of Boom, Seattle. Like that's, and they were so good, man. I went back and watched a little bit of film of them the other day, like just how good Earl Thomas was like, like people, people tried to run that cover three defense for a long time. And I think that's going to be really interesting when we talk about Vic Fangio, you know, later and how everyone tried to take that Seattle three and everywhere they went, but they couldn't do it because they didn't have Earl Thomas and Earl Thomas is ability to cover like literally 48 yards of grass like horizontally in the middle of the field and basically man man up those outside guys in that cover three vertical structure like is incredible you know like like watching him i just was like man he was so good at this and that's why the defense works so well in my in my in my in my opinion again i'm sure you talk to different people and like it's multifactorial. Defensive line was really yeah, good. I mean, all that defensive stuff. line was good. Their corners were good. Bobby Wagner's playing middle linebacker. Yes. He's going to the Hall of Fame. But like Earl Thomas was the piece that, and like Cam Chancellor coming down, like yes. you didn't want to throw the ball over the middle because he was going to murder your receivers. But you like just, you could not get the chunk plays that you need to score because Earl Thomas didn't let you. And, and think about that. You have probably three. Hall of Famers in the back end. I mean, Richard Sherman, right? Would you, I don't know, maybe like Sherman, Sherman, like, yes. like a Pro Bowl caliber player. Cam, yeah, he I was think a multi-time is, all pro. You think Cam's a Hall of Famer? I think so. I mean, so let me just say this. I think he's an archetype for that position. Maybe that's a yeah. better way to put it. He is like the standard when you're trying to build a Seattle three, who's the guy that can be that like safety linebacker edge setting hybrid player. And Cam is like, look it up in the dictionary and there's Cam. Who's the post player? Oh, it's Earl Thomas. Who's the corner? It's Richard Sherman. You know, like these long, fast, really smart intellectual corners, right? And so, like, to me, you had three guys who are the prototype for the position playing in the defense at the same time. And it's so rare to get that, I, I think, you know? And so I think that's one of the reasons that defense was so effective. But, again, that's that that leads to the innovation that Jordan was talking about um, later by guys like Vic Fangio. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, 
eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman here, Logan Paulson there. Let's talk about how the defense has affected it. So we talk about how the offensive personnel and the personalities and everything on that side of the ball affects it. But ultimately, you're trying to beat specific defenses. You have that Seattle three that comes in, but it's really the Vic Fangio, you know, cover six and and all the different things that he does that puts a a major halt to that offense. Yeah. Um, and at that point, Sean's in L.A. was the gold standard. He makes the Super Bowl, uh, obviously, that year, even uh, after Fangio uh, kind of puts the template out. Belichick reuses it in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And they go from the best offense in the sport to start 2017 to limping-ish to the Super Bowl uh, to struggling in a major way the following year. So, how, like, first of all, if, we, if you were to define what Fangio does, not necessarily from a structure standpoint, yeah. but from – a more broad, this is what he's trying to stop. And this is how he's approaching it standpoint. What did he do that made it so hard for this West coast based play action offense to operate? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we could write, we could have like a five hour show on this. Like that's how detailed well, this that's is. what it's, Jordan just did. Yeah. So like, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, but even that, even that was just an hour. Like you could probably right. talk about Vic Fangio and his tree. Like you could do this same show with Vic Fangio and his tree. That's how imp- impactful it is, I think, on the league. So basically, that the reason I bring up Seattle cover three is because in Seattle cover three, the holes in that defense are the seams, right? So envision right. like receivers running up the hash. Because basically, if you run four verticals, you put that middle player in a bind, right? And he's got to play, two, it's a two-on-one. And so what teams started doing is this, this, this match principle. And so what that means is if number two, the second receiver in the slot, goes vertical, the hook player has to match that player vertical, right? So it almost plays like man-to-man coverage, right? You get that post player in the middle. We run four verticals. The two hook players are going to carry those guys vertical. That affects the outside corners, right? Because if I'm carrying vertical, I lose any any kind of hook coverage that is in that normal zone, right? So if I'm getting a dig, I now have to match it. If I'm getting a slant, I now have to match it. If I'm getting an under, I now have to match it. So that outside corner all of a sudden, plays just like man as well right so it goes from like this very simplistic like i went back and watched like i said that 2012 season because i'm doing a breakdown for um command center and the cover three structure there is so much space at the second level of the defense behind the linebackers and in the Mm -hmm. seams right there is so much grass it's like a it's like a sphere of 50 yards of grass and so teams are like let's get there and then the defense's response was shoot, how do we cover these spots up? And it ends up being this kind of match principle. And so 90% of the time in this match principle, it's going to look exactly like man. However, when you get some type of, you know, bunches and motions and short motions and crossers, they can now pass them off. And so there is this still zone cover three element, but it's so far bastardized. It doesn't even really look like cover three anymore. And that is one thing that really, really, really messed up Sean's evolution of that offense. And Jordan talked about it at her show, and I think this is brilliant by all these match teams, as we talked about it with Matt Ryan too, is it doesn't look like anything. 
It looks like right. quarters. It looks like six. It looks like three. It can look like cover two, right? It, it can look like whatever you want it to look like, right? You can even motion and they can zone match the motion. So it even looks even more zonish. And then you get in the match principles as you go. So it basically allows you to play a shapeless defense. And the whole thing Sean was doing, right? And he's well known for this is calling the play, getting them lined up quickly, and then telling golf where the ball needs to go. So with match, good luck, bro, because no one knows what's going on <laughs> until you run routes because we're, we're matching route concepts, right? One goes, two goes vertical, I match it. Two goes out, we exchange, whatever the rule is for that specific defense. And now I can't do that anymore. And I think that's where like, that is what I thought Jordan did such a good job of in the piece was like, I wanted, Sean wanted to be innovative and he was being innovative. He was taking all these really challenging decisions out of the quarterback's hands, which is on this show. We've talked about that a ton. How do you limit tough decisions for the quarterback? Sean was like, let's take them all off his plate. However, when he did that, he kind of took the quarterback's ability to be a quarterback, like play football, you know, and he became that a is, thrower. Yes. Yeah. And that is something Sean, uh, Kyle has never done. He's always played really sound offensive football and demanded that the quarterback learn and know where the ball should and has to go versus different looks. And, tr and it's, it's like, I'm going to make a horse, a horseback riding reference here. Okay. So okay. my wife, my wife rides horses. Okay. And when you're coming to the jump, a coach will tell you, Hey, we want the, we want, we want you to get four strides in to the jump. One, two, three, four jump. Right. Cause we don't want to be too far away. We don't want to be too close. However, at the really high levels of jumping, you miss the distance. You don't see four. Maybe it's four, but it's really five. Or you think it's four, but it's actually three. You need the horse to be able to overcome that and make the jump and find the distance themselves. And so I kind of feel like Sean was like, I'm always going to find the distance, always listens to me. And then all of a sudden, when he couldn't see the distance with this match coverage, it totally golf lost the ability to make his own decisions kind of, does that make sense? Yeah. So I want to take a quick step back just Sorry. to explain a couple of things. No, that was great. But just, just to fill in a couple of gaps, right? The way Sean was able to do this. And, and it goes back to a quote that Andrew Whitworth gave uh, in the piece. Andrew Whitworth said, we wanted you to play your perfect defense because then we knew what to do. So if you play that cover three, and you are not matching, right? So, you, you know, we, when that quote happens, it's when they're playing just the basic zone coverages. And it lines up like it is when you play Madden. The little bubbles go back and it's three deep and you got four underneath and you have that 50-yard sphere of grass where you know exactly where the ball needs to be. And so show what Sean would do is use personnels and motions as indicators to say, okay, if I run the tight end across the formation and nobody follows its zone based off the pre-snap alignment and down in distance. Hey, this is cover three. You got your, you got your number two receiver on the whatever route, right? And he could see that before the snap with basic information gathering based off of personnel alignment, et cetera. And because he used very similar personnel all the time, or the one year he used basically exclusively 11 personnel, he knew what defenses were going to do to him because you don't, like you have a best solution as a defense and you use it. You don't say, hey, we have 11 personnel and a tight split. We're going to play cover two this time, cover three next time, cover four next time. You just play cover two or you just play cover three all the time. And if the offense knows that, then they just have to attack where they know the weakness is. Right. Then all of a sudden, when that goes away, because those spheres of grass disappear, now you're in trouble. Now you're in that predicament where 
you need the quarterback to be able to read what is happening and make decisions. And he does, that's not a skill that he's sharpened because you've given him all the answers and that's good offense, by the way, to give all the answers, but it does create trickle down of problems. And then I guess the question becomes like, what did they do to fix that? And how do, how do you then turn that on its head? And that's the constant evolution of the history of the NFL. Right. And, And that's why we go from pass heavy to run heavy because you get super pass heavy teams are like, Oh, defensively, we need lighter personnel. Now offense is looking at lighter personnel trying to throw on it. Cause that's who they are. Then they're like, wait a second, we can run on this yeah. go back to run defense is thicken up again. And it's this cyclical nature yeah. of personnel, but also of schematics. Well, I think that's a great point. And like Jordan hit this right on the head. Like that's why you bring in Matt Stafford, right? A guy that you know, he like basically when he was the quarterback, all of the play action stuff that had kind of characterized this scheme disappears a little bit. You know, it's not as important. And one of the reasons they do that is because they said, Matt, we want him to see the defense and see the throws and have time to evaluate. Right. So they get in like these super wide splits. They really force the defense even more under more pressure because they get really, really wide. They make you declare your pressures. They make you declare relatively your coverages. And now we got a guy back there who can deal. You know, she alluded to this in in kind of like uh, in Cincinnati as well, Joe Burrow. That's kind of the same structure they play. Kyle, I think, is the is the interesting one because all of this zone match, all of this stuff that's going on, his offense is relatively the same. And what I mean by that, it's it's still super play action heavy, right? There is an element of drop back that's, but it's about the same as it was before, you know. And so he has found a way to kind of keep his system and stress you in a way that these other systems have had to kind of evolve out of. And I think that's really interesting. And that's, that is to me something that I want to go personally and go look at is like, what is he doing that allows him to dissect, dissect match coverage? And he, to be fair, he probably has the best, I mean, outside of Cincinnati, probably the best skill position group of the bunch, right? You got McCaffrey, you got Debo, you got Kittle. And so you can beat, because like I said, match coverage is going to play just like man. And to beat man coverage, you need dudes who can beat man coverage. And he's got them up there. So maybe that's part of it. But yeah, it's it's a that to me is really interesting is why is Kyle's offense stayed approximately the same? You know, they, they you can see the relation to 2012. You can see the relation to when he was in Cleveland. You can see the relation when he was in uh Atlanta. And everyone else has felt like we need to make these drastic changes to this to the structure. Well, part of it I think is something that Matt shared with us, which is how he coaches the quarterback to read it. It's like, who cares if it's cover six, cover two, cover three, cover four. We're going to look in this area of the field and we're going to try to isolate one player. And if this player goes left, we throw right. If he goes right, we throw left. Or if we can get this particular matchup, we trust our one guy to win one-on-one in man coverage. And if he doesn't, then, well, maybe you get to your second read. Maybe you just check it down. Like they've got answers. And that goes to the thoroughness of Kyle and kind of, full circle to where we started where Kyle always has an answer. And it's just a series of if then statements. It's funny because yeah. every, anytime I think like this, I go back to uh, middle school and, and uh, computer program. <laughs> like that's how computer programs work yeah, on the yeah. most basic level. It's like, yeah. if this, then that, if that, then this, or, and then it's just like this series of if then statements, if it's, co- if no one is covered, then two, if two is covered, then three, if yeah. three is covered, then run, or if yeah. three is covered, then check down. Or if three is covered, then JJ Watt is sitting on top of me. Yeah. Like there, there's just there's only a certain amount of outcomes, and it, it's it's planning and scheming those outcomes. 
And sometimes it's like, you know, if one is covered this way, then three, you skip two because you know two is also dead. If one is covered another way, then two because that should be open. And so it's it's isolating those if-then statements without the care that traditionally you have for if cover three, then this. It's just if this guy is here, then do that. And there were times that Matt said when he was on a couple weeks ago, like, I didn't care what the coverage was, and I still to this day don't know, but right. we scored a touchdown because I was able to identify the right area of space to look at. Yeah, and I think you bring up another good point there. It's like he, Kyle, at least, you know, in the last last year when we watched the, um, you know, Commanders versus the 49ers, like he did such a good job of, of ensuring certain if-then statements, if that makes sense. Like he'd get in certain personnel groupings. He'd run the football. His sequence was really good. And I think the other thing I kind of maybe answered my own question is that he's definitely got the best defense of the group, right? So he can kind of lean into that run game a little bit more. It's not this offensive juggernaut, you know, they're, they're great offense. Like, don't get me wrong. Like that offense is fantastic, but it, the margin, the margin for error for the offense is much bigger because the defense is much better. You know, maybe the best defense in football. So I think, kind of to your point, to regulate the if-then if, if then statements, you know, with your personnel, with your sequencing, all that kind of stuff, and then trusting your defense. And he, he said something in the thing, you know, it's like where I ran the ball 45 times in a game. And I, I just knew that I didn't have to stress my quarterback. The offensive line could handle it. The run scheme was where it needed to be. And we won the game 21-17. to 17. And, like, I was totally fine with that. And, not, you know, it's crazy. It's none of the other teams that we've talked about can do that. They can't – they can't – shifted in a four-wheel drive at any point and win a game that way, the way that his team can, which I think is another interesting way to construct the roster. Right. How do you beat cover three match? You run all over it. Yeah. Like, go ahead, match this. Yeah. And match, when the, you have, match this. That's right. Match, match Trent Williams in space. <laughs> hey, your cute DB can read all this stuff yeah. and pass off a route. What happens when Trent Williams is running into his face mask? Yeah. So there's, there's that element. And by the way, he also manipulates space, you know, the spatial Darwinism quote. Yeah. You know, he manipulates space by using McCaffrey in 1100 different ways and Debo in 1200 different ways. Yeah. Like that, that also manipulates the space. And, you know, when, when you can simplify down as a defense, what you have to prepare for based off situations, then it's a lot easier. Um, when you, and it's like, you know, to go back to your example of the the zone read earlier, right. That RPO type of situation. Okay. Well now we know it's our, if we know it's RPO or we know it's zone read, forget even the RPO, yeah. we know it's zone read, then this tight end is going to come across and try to block me. I scrape over the top, bam, we're covered. Okay, yeah. cool. What happens if there's now an RPO element. Well, then we have this other player that drops off. Well, you don't know it's going to be RPO. Yeah. Like you don't know that till the ball is snapped and the play is under thing or the play is under uh, yeah. underway. So if you based off time score situation, this is why you know, being in, in good down and distance is so important. It, you can come up with a solution for anything in a vacuum, but yeah. these plays don't exist in a vacuum. 100%. And I think that's what makes Kyle so special as a play caller and, and where these other guys have, have shined as well. Like I think McDaniel does a good job yep. of this. I think LaFleur has done a good job of this at times is you just don't know. I mean, Andy Reed and, and what he and Nagy and the have done. Yeah. Like if you know that silly, you know, pitch uh, play is coming at the goal line where they score on it seven times a year. If you know, it's coming, it's not that hard to stop. Right. The problem is you don't know it's coming. And it and, looks and like and other so stuff that, in your offense. It looks like, exactly. it. yeah. So, and so the variety and kind of the window dressing and making it simple for your guys, but harder for the others is the magic yeah. and just how they go about performing the magic trick, I think is, is pretty fascinating. 
Um, there's another element to this of like the human management. I think we, maybe yeah. we can talk about that later in the week. Yeah, we won't uh, wait we too long on that. Sorry, that. Buddy. But, you know, it, no, it's all good. Um, this was all good. We just stayed in kind of the more schematic realm. But there's kind of the human management, which I think is also interesting after watching uh, Quarterback on Netflix and watching specifically the relationship between Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins. So we'll talk about that later in the week. Um, anything else to tack on to the end of this one before we uh, get to Ross Tucker? Um, I, th- I think that's it. I mean, we could talk about this all day, you and I, but I think that was a good kind of summation of our thoughts. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, Ross Tucker's next here on Take Command. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Joining us now, Ross Tucker, national analyst uh, for a bunch of different outlets. Uh, Westwood One specifically, I've been doing playoff games for, for them for years, analyst work for them for years. Ross, I know you have some exciting things coming down the pike, so make sure everyone's uh, tuned into their local press releases to, to see where Ross is going to be more this upcoming NFL season. He also does the Eagles uh, TV analyst work uh, on their preseason. Uh, so, Ross, uh, very much appreciate your time, and I want to just dive right in. With kind of this, you know, this national perspective of the uh, of the commanders, I don't want to make you speak for literally every national analyst, but they have found themselves at the bottom of many, many rankings. I think a lot of that has to do with the quarterback situation here. And people just don't know what to make of Sam Howell or it seems like those that have made up their minds that he's not going to be good enough. What do you make of Ron Rivera's decision to roll with Howell for the 2023 season? Yeah, well, good to see you guys, Craig. Good for having me. And I love that you got like a true blood and guts guy like Logan in the podcast game. That's amazing. Logan was one of, when he played, one of maybe seven tight ends that still blocked a little bit in the NFL. Um, 
So I, I always had an appreciation for Logan's game and the way he went about it because, man, way back – I always sound so old when I say this, but way back in the day, like, I didn't have to block. Yeah, and to. actually, there was always one guy on every out of, out of the three on every team that was, like, just straight blocker. Like, that's <laughs> all he did. Um, that has changed quite a bit. So love, <laughs> love that Logan's in, in on the, uh, on the dark side now Thank with you, the media. Yeah. Listen, I think, I think the commanders in everybody's mind are last in the division. And I think that's because they have more questions at the more important positions than the other teams do, right? The Eagles kind of a known commodity. Uh, the Cowboys won 12 games last year. We also know that the Giants had a surprisingly good year last year, and they've even upgraded, you know, getting that new center in John Michael Schmitz, whereas the Commanders, quarterback question for sure. And by the way, question doesn't mean bad. Question just means unanswered. Sam Howell might be awesome. We don't know. I hope he is. It'd be more fun if he is. It'd be great. Um, but then you combine Howell – with a new OC, so you got a new system, and uh, a questionable offensive line, I would say at this point, with some of the guys they have in there. There's unknowns on the O-line. There's unknowns with the enemy calling plays. There's unknown with Sam Howell as a quarterback. That's just too much for people. I don't blame them. I mean, if the commanders answer all those questions positively, you know, can they – be better than the Giants and, and maybe have a winning season? Sure. But in the NFL, most of the time, when you have three major questions like that, you don't answer all three of them in the affirmative. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I think that's, you know, like a really good perspective to bring in. Something I'd like to ask you, though, is you, you've seen kind of a precedent, at least in recent history, of of offensive play callers coming to new systems. Obviously, Jacksonville with Patterson, uh, New York with Dayball and them elevating offenses in a way that's kind of unexpected. And I think, you know, um, he's one of the best offensive minds in football and having a guy that's had such a close proximity to him seems like a benefit. Do you think he can bring Sam along? Do you think he can insulate the offensive line? I kind of feel like if there's one factor that needs to be answered in the affirmative, it needs to be Eric Bieniemy and his ability to call plays and elevate this group. Do you think he can get that done? Yeah, you know what? You're probably right, Logan. Like, out of the three questions, the one that does the most to help solve the other two. Um, <laughs> although, if Sam Howell's awesome, he can look, make the enemy in the old line look good, too, right? If Sam Howell turns out to be awesome. Um, but, no, you know, the enemy thing is interesting because, like, when you mentioned Dayball or Doug Peterson, my initial reaction was I watched both those guys call plays that's true and have a lot of success elsewhere right like peterson right. with the eagles winning the super bowl with nick Foles, dayball and buffalo with josh allen putting up crazy numbers whereas the enemy which has always kind of been somewhat of a mystery didn't really call the plays in kansas city right andy reed gets the credit for that so the thing i like about the commanders i think is so interesting the enemy bet on himself in a major way yeah. right look let's put it this way the enemy thinks he can do it. The enemy <laughs> thinks he's the man, and he's gonna he's gonna get the offensive line to play well, get How to play well. But I mean, first of all, there's a bunch of coaches that have left Andy Reid, and I'd say have mixed success. It's a great other point. Other places, it's a great you know, point. like a Matt Nagy uh, who had some success, right? 
Um, Peterson obviously has had some ups and downs, but a lot of ups when he's in Philadelphia and a good run last year in Jacksonville. But guys, he his quarterback was Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> I mean, have you heard of him? Have yeah, you seen no. that guy play? <laughs> I mean, I am confident that I could be at least a middle of the road offensive coordinator if Patrick Mahomes was my quarterback. So we'll see. It's going to be a very different for the enemy. I mean, maybe he goes back to the Alex Smith playbook and mm. maybe Sam Howell can pull some of that stuff off, which I think would be, would be interesting. But yeah, I think that you can make an argument. Although, you know what? I can make an argument for all of them. If yeah. the O line ends up gelling and playing really well, man, that gives Sam Howell a much better chance. It makes it a lot easier on the enemy. As you know, and we all know, it's a symbiotic relationship between all three of these entities, and they're all very much tied together um, because they need each other to succeed. So here's the thing that I think I get caught up on a bit, Ross, and, and where a lot of fans certainly get caught up that are far more emotionally invested than me, is this team was 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one last year. Like People talk about them like they were a four-win team. They won eight games last year. And I guess with the question average I would quarterback ask, play. with average yeah, quarterback I, play, I would not go that far. That is being <laughs> far too kind to the garbage quarterback play that was here last year. Um, the question I would ask is, do you think this team is better? Because I think I look at it and Logan and I have talked about this, so I, I can speak for him from our conversations, uh, just relay what he says, not speak for him. But like, we both think they're better. We think that the enemy can elevate significantly. We think that how, like, I mean, again, the quarterback play was poor for a lot of last year. And then defensively, I think that we have higher hopes for more consistency, what they were in the second half of last year, much more than they were in the first. And I think it's trying to square, okay, if they were 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one last year, we think they're better this year. Why does everyone think they're going to barely win six games? And I think that is where a lot of, a lot of folks struggle. So I would simply ask you this. Do you think they're better than last year uh, in, in terms of what you project for them in 2023? No, I think I'd say I think they're about the same. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. And I mean, look, I was at, I called the Eagles game Monday Night Football when they beat the Eagles fair and square in Philly. I mean, that was unbelievable. And I don't know. I know, I know you guys got rid of Scott Turner and I'm sure there's reasons why, but I remember coming away extremely impressed with his game plan and how they played keep away in that game and won that football game. It was, I mean, until the Super Bowl was the only game Jalen Hurts lost as a starter last year, you know, and it was against, and I thought Heineke had some, some solid games like that, where in the fourth quarter, he was a gamer, found a way for them to win. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the interior of the offensive line in particular, you know, that interior trio, how well those guys are able to perform. We talked about how obviously, because the thing is, and this must drive, you know, Commanders fans crazy. You have a championship D-line. Mm. You have a championship receiving core, right? Maybe you could argue the whole skill position group. Like, they have – I think if you talk to people now, they'd probably say the hierarchy of positional value would be quarterback, O-line, D-line, maybe receiver, secondary. I mean, my point is, is the Commanders – have a lot of players that other teams would want. They have a lot of really good players, but, you know, O-line and quarterback might be the two most important. 
And those are still big, big question marks, which by the way, leads me to a whole other question, which I'm still annoyed about because you guys both sit here and you both say, you know, average at best quarterback play. For the life of me, I don't understand why they didn't put Sam Howell in earlier. Mm. I mean, I guess Rivera with the ownership stuff was trying to make the playoffs to save his job. So when Wentz went bad, he put Heineke in. I can't remember if Wentz got hurt or went bad, whatever. Um, He got hurt, yeah. He got hurt. But anyway, it seemed to me like that would have been a real good time to get Hal a bunch of opportunities, a bunch of playing time last year. Or even like when they decided to put Wentz back in, was that the Cleveland game? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, what that was a disaster. disaster. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the simple answer is Wentz was terrible th- through and through. Yeah. He, he was good against Jacksonville in week one. He was bad the rest of the games that he played. Heineke comes in because Sam is not ready yet. And because, you know, t- uh, Taylor had kind of earned that based off how he played the previous year. And he was good. That was the only good quarterback play they got was for what, Logan, four or five weeks of yeah. like average or in some games above average quarterback play. And by then, when he starts to go sideways in the Giants games, do you trust, do you throw a rookie in there for his first starts in the most important games of your season? Or do you figure that Taylor's going to pull himself out of it or ultimately go back to Carson? I mean, I was screaming from the mountaintops, Carson, no, please just roll it with Taylor. Or if you want to pull the plug and throw a wild card in there and go with Sam. But um, I mean, the simple answer is Taylor played too well um, when he got that shot as the backup and um, you know, Sam had gotten many reps and that's, that's the answer to the question. I think it's really interesting that you have to think with the ownership change and pending or whatever, you got to think that Rivera is on the hot seat and that he knows that. And he knows the new owner is likely to want to bring in his own people and, and maybe that's part of Rivera wanting to go with Sam Howe. Maybe he thinks, like, his shot is if he can win a bunch of games and show that he's got a, a good, young, inexpensive quarterback such that the new owner will say, well, we don't want to mess with that. Because, I mean, I don't know. It's just remarkable to me that if this might be your last year as a head coach in the NFL, that you're going into it with – a fifth round pick with one start to his name. Yeah, I, do, I agree. I think that's kind of an interesting thing, right? And I think a lot of people have put a lot of credence on that one start, you know, the one start against Dallas late in the year where he was supported a lot by special teams and a lot of, uh, you know, quite frankly, by the defense. And I don't know. I don't know if you watched that game. Do you have any thoughts on like, you know, if you were the head coach, is that enough of a sample size to be like, I feel really good about Sam for 2023 for the Washington Commanders? Thought he played well. I thought he looked the part, did not look like the moment was too big for him. And the fact that I was like, well, why didn't they put him in earlier? Says I, I thought they played, I thought right. he played pretty well um, for sure. I guess the, the flip side of the counter would be what were their other options this offseason? Right. Like, like that's, what that's the what the, I mean, they weren't the gonna rough. get one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. So and they did bring in sort of a safety blanket, security blanket and Brissett. And I gotta tell you. If Brissett just plays for Washington the way he played last year in Cleveland, I think the commanders could have a winning season for sure. Yeah. I mean, Brissett was pretty darn good last year, actually. He was, I mean, Cleveland was bad because the defense was terrible. And when Watson came back, Watson wasn't very good. Brissett, they actually scored more points 
And Brissett played better. I think anybody anticipated. Yeah, I'm no, for sure. sure. I mean, that that's kind of what we've said is if Sam Howell beats out Jacoby Brissett in camp, that means he's ready to be an NFL quarterback. Like that's the bar. That's the barometer. And in some ways that's what Taylor was last year as well. Like I think Taylor's lower on that spectrum, but if you're better than Taylor Heineke, you're, you're ready to play NFL quarterback. Sam was apparently not there last year. And I don't think he was given an honest chance to be. What's amazing is they thought Carson was, and despite the fact that he was throwing the ball on the ground all over training camp, but you know, they, they gave up a lot for him and that's that. All right, Ross, let's wrap up with this. We got like one minute left. I want your favorite story that you can tell on a podcast from your time as a player in Washington, your first stint at the start of your career or your last year of playing pick one, your favorite story. Oh, geez, dude. I mean, I got about a million. <laughs> um, the first one that jumps out to me was our first day of training camp in 2002. We had had Marty Schottenheimer when I was a rookie in 2001 and whatever Marty said to us night before the, the, the training camp started, the hair on the back of my neck was standing up. I was ready to take my pen and just start stabbing people in the room. <laughs> like, I was so fired up. The next year, we have this Ballyhooed coach, and he says, opening line, man, I went to 12 of these here training camps as a player. And, you know, I can't remember one good thing I ever got out of it. I don't remember one thing that ever. But uh, Mr. Snyder wants us to be here. So let's try to get something done tomorrow. Oh, that my gosh. That was the start of the season speech for the 2002 Washington Redskins. We all looked at each other like. But then we were <laughs> killing everybody in the preseason games. So we're like, Okay. Uh, boy, I knew we were in trouble. I mean, I knew we were in trouble for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, I mean, I could give a, I could give a bunch of other stories. You gotta have me on again. Let's and do I'll it. just do uh, Spurrier and Schottenheimer stories. That's really, oh Schottenheimer's the man, so it'll be more just about that team. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, I'd be happy to tell Spurrier I, stories. I would one thousand percent do an hour straight of Spurrier stories. A hundred percent done. You let us know when we're there. Uh, Ross, this was great. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll hopefully talk to you for Spurrier stories and other football analysis later this season. Yeah, that'd be great. Great to see you guys. Great to talk with you. Thanks for having me.